to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. These are so fruitful, I'm beginning to think we ought to do them every quarter. Uh, they're so fruitful, and you've got to come out. If you've never been to one, you've got to come out. God was giving all those people high fives yesterday, I know. And we minister to a lot of people. Uh, worship night tonight, be out. I woke up today. I'm kind of tired yet. I woke up at like 4.30 this morning, and we live in the mountains, and our house was pure dark. And I went, oh, no. You know, every, every once in a while, we have blackouts up there. Electricity goes off. And I said, man, the power's out. I looked outside. It was dark. So I stumbled through the house, my phone, looking for a little, you know, portable battery-operated lantern or something. And I'm going through, going through, and frustrating myself. So how am I going to look at my word this morning? And then it dawned on me, try the light switch. I forgot to turn the porch lights on last night. <laughs> is that an age? That, what, is, that, is, that, is that something weird? And, and lo and behold, you know, my wife said it always reminds her of a video I played some years ago. A man and woman get on an escalator at, in a store early in the morning, and the power goes out in the escalator, right? And he goes, hello, we need some help over here. And he starts getting all angry. It's an escalator. All you have to do is walk down it, right? But he's having a tizzy fit over it. And I'm going to start the day out by saying, some of you need to help yourself. The help is there. Don't depend on someone else to bail you out. So we're already starting with Ramus. Now, we're going to start something new on October 31st. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I feel like we need a verse-by-verse -verse intense Bible study. And so starting October 31st, you're going to have a choice. First service and third service will be regular Sunday sermons. Second service, we're dedicating to verse-by-verse -verse Bible study. That's what we're going to do. So I'll be teaching the second service. One, two, three, I'll take a Sunday off to go to Vegas. One, two, three, Sunday off. One, two, three, Sunday, and we're going to go right through the Bible, verse by verse by verse. And uh, so if you don't prefer that, Pastor Josh and some of the other guys, younger guys, they're going to be doing sermons first and third, and they're going to use a lot of video presentations. That's their style. And it's going to be really, so you can choose. See, I want to go to church today, and I want a regular sermon, uh, topical, or I want to go for second service and get verse-by-verse -verse Bible study. My vision is that uh, people will be getting out of their cars during the second service, carrying their Bibles under their arms in an ink pen. And they're going to mark their Bibles up. So today I thought I'd just give you a sample of that. I don't know if we're going to go with this book, but just kind of a sample. So let's pray this right now. Father God, anoint this, bless it in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to look at the book of Acts and take a few verses, verse by verse study right now. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now. We're starting out right now. We don't know who Theophilus is. Uh, we have, you know, conjecture. Uh, some people think that he was a Jewish high priest, because there were two Jewish high priests in A.D. 37 and A.D. 65 that had Theophilus in their name. Others think that it was a high-ranking Roman officer. 
And that's who this letter was written to. Others think that it was a lawyer who defended Paul while he was in Rome. And this letter is written kind of like a legal brief uh, in defense of Christianity. We're not for sure. Regardless, here's the thought I want you to get. Theophilus was a VIP in, in Luke's mind. And Luke really wanted to win him to the Lord. And Luke went to uh, a lot of trouble to win this man to the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop and I'm going to challenge you. Is there anyone that you can think of right now that you're going out of your way to present the gospel to? You're going out of your way to win them for Christ. Remember again, that's one of the main reasons why we're on the earth right now, to make disciples of men. And I want to continue to put that before you. See, you don't realize how powerful it is when you win one person to Christ. I was going to replay a video that I played at men's retreat, but I'll summarize it for you. Let's say that you, you win a, a guy or lady at work, you, you, you pray for them, you share the gospel, and they end up giving their life to the Lord. Uh, they go on vacation to New York next year, and they lead a family member to the Lord, and that family member leads his whole family to the Lord. One of those family members goes on vacation to Jamaica, and they lead somebody to the Lord there. Or, or, or their family in Jamaica comes to the United States, they win them to the Lord here. Then they go, and you see how it travels. You don't know how far one salvation goes. It's unbelievable. Now, Luke was a physician. He wrote this book. And Luke uh, probably got his information. In fact, he begins the, the study by saying that I already composed one book, of course, Luke, named after Luke. But Luke, the physician, also wrote the book of Acts. What's interesting about him is we think that possibly he was a Gentile. Unbelievable that a Gentile would write two books in the Bible. You say, where did he get his information? From stories, from interviewing people. Plus, he was a companion to Paul for a lot of years. So he had some first-handed knowledge. Now, Luke starts out saying, and I like this, he says, in my first account, I talked to you, Theophilus, about what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. Jesus had a style. He would do something, and then he would teach about what he did, or vice versa. Uh, we need as Christians to give everyone an account for why we do what we do. I know I have some very radical beliefs and doctrines, and you get tired of hearing about them because, see, my nature is simplicity. Everything's so simple. But everything I do and say needs to have biblical reasoning behind it. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, let's, let's don't underestimate that first statement. You got to make Jesus your master and owner. That's the first elementary principle of Christianity. He's my master, my owner. I don't move without his consent. I don't, do, I don't divorce without his consent. I don't do anything without his consent. Uh, you got to do that first. But then it says, always you must be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Look at the message Bible here. Keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are. Be ready to tell them, and always with the utmost courtesy. 
I do a lot of things daily. And let's say you're with me in my car and we're driving to Vegas and we pass an automobile accident. If you're with me, you're going to see me do this. Father God, right now in Jesus' name, I pray over the people in this accident. Lord, I pray right now that you'd be with the first responders. And Lord, let your spirit guide them in what they should do. Uh, those babies, that little baby seat tears me up, Lord. S let them know what to do. Let them find that baby. And then usually I'll go on and I'll say, Father, right now, if any of them's on the point of death or are seriously injured, send an angel to give them the gospel message. And I do that. Do you believe that really happens? I do believe that really happens. But if you're in the car, you would say to me, why do you believe that really happens? Well, I can give you scriptural evidence where when you pray, God moves people's hearts. But I can also give you scriptural evidence about angels. Uh, look at Luke 2, 10 and 11. I want to back it up with scripture. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. In other words, I'm bringing you the gospel message, the angel is, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I believe that angels can bring the good news if I ask them to. But again, you got to know what I believe. I believe my God can do anything he wants at any time he wants. Because he's God. And I did a message years ago. I did it twice because it was so important to me. The message was called, why not? Why not pray over those people at that accident site? Well, I don't know if I believe that God would send an angel. Well, why not? If he does, look at the ground you've covered. Wouldn't it be cool when you get to heaven if somebody came up and said, are you so-and-so? Yeah. By any chance... In fact, I was told by an angel that you were the one, that when I was in a car accident on Highway 58 in 1921, you prayed for an angel to come and share the message with me. And you know what? Your prayer was answered, and that's why I'm here today. Whoa! You know, would that be crazy or what? Uh, so we know in Luke that angels were used to bring the message at least once, and then look at Hebrews 1 and 14. It says, for are not angels all ministering spirits? That means they do ministry, okay? And they're sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That's me and that's you. And so you would ask me why and whether you agree with what I say or not, I would be able to give you a defense as to why I did that. Uh, Let's say you're with me on that same road trip, and I start confessing my sins. You go, why are you confessing your sins? Because I believe in the Word of God where it says that my transgressions and sins separates me from fellowship with God. And I want to stay clean because I don't need the Holy Spirit to be grieved. All God wants to hear out of my mouth very often is a confession. That's agreeing that what I did was wrong and that I'm knowledgeable of it. That's all He asks. So I want to keep this relationship good. You've heard me say for years that there's not a day or a night that goes by. I think for 40 years, I have prayed every day that God would protect my family and use angels if necessary to protect them. And I believe that. And again, look at Psalms 91, 11, and 12. It says, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
they will bear you up in their hands that you do not, and, and that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now, we know Daniel in the lion's den, when the king came early in the morning, he said, Daniel, are you alive? Daniel said, my God sent an angel to protect me during the night. So we have scriptural uh, evidence for this kind of thing. Now, it says that God will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. Look at the Hebrew word for guard. It means to hedge about, watch over, protect, and to take care of. Uh, so again, if I have this help, why not use it? Is there a reason why some people are so blessed in this life and others go, why are they so blessed? Maybe it's all these little secrets right here. It's these little things. It's childlike faith in God. So I have a reason for what I do. I don't just do stuff facetiously. Uh, let's say you're traveling with me and I pull over and I say, I got to text some people some things right now and I got to uh, pray for this person and do this, this. Why are you texting them little verses? Why are you texting them things? I'm planting seeds in their heart. I'm giving God something to, to grow, giving God something to work with. And so I'm giving them encouraging words. I'm giving them verses. And, and so, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm giving people a reason for why I do what I do. And so Jesus in the Bible, he taught people about, about stuff, and then he actually instructed them very often as to why he was doing that. Now, let's look at verse number two. It says, Jesus did this until the day when he was taken up to heaven. Now, there's going to be a day you're going to be taken up to heaven. Did you know that? And it says, taken up to heaven. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, the apostles he chose. I don't want to get into Reformed theology here, but it's the apostles he chose. And I'll kind of make notes of this as we go on in Bible studies. But let me give you uh, two things out of this verse right here. Number one is, Jesus stayed busy doing kingdom work until he was taken up. That is our goal. That is our goal. Last Sunday, I don't remember what service I said what in. In one of the services, I went longer than the other one when I talked about our, our spiritual armor. And one of our weapons against the devil is given to us in Ephesians 6.15. And it says that having shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I took that last week, and you say, how does having our feet shod with the gospel, gospel of the preparation of peace, how does that become a weapon? Here's how it comes to become a weapon. When we are busy in the kingdom doing what we've been put here to do, we protect ourselves from the schemes of the devil. It's a protective device. See, when I'm out there staying busy in the kingdom, let's say I'm, I'm helping somebody get through a bad marriage, and I'm going home, I'm looking up verses for them on marriage, and I'm sending them to them, and I'm praying for their marriage. As I do that, I'm making my own marriage safer because I'm looking up the verses, I'm praying for them, and, and so I'm helping myself. Finances, the same thing. When I pray for people to be healed all the time, healing powers flowing through me. But the main thing is this. Remember that David got attacked by the enemy when he had idle time on his hands. How many of you know that idle time is the devil's workshop? 
When you're kicking back and bored, that's when some of you guys go to pornography. That's when some of you gals go to things you shouldn't go to. We are to stay busy in the kingdom. Again, his, his, his burden is, is, is light and his yoke is easy. So there's no excuse for us not to be able to stay active in the kingdom of God until we're taken up. Secondly, I notice here that Jesus, he, he told the disciples, I'm leaving, here's the baton. Pick up where I left off. Now, Jesus had people that he lived, left his unfinished business with. I hope and pray that all of you have others that you're going to pass down your legacy to. And I hope you have a legacy to pass down to them. What is it of a godly nature that you're leaving behind for others that will live after you die? What do we need to pass down? Well, I passed down a lot of things. I heard my son say in a sermon years ago, he said, you know, my dad taught us that we never, ever go past anybody who's hungry or thirsty. So I watched my dad on vacation, wherever we're at, he never, ever passes anybody up who is hungry or wants something to drink. Never, ever. Uh, I think my kids would tell you that, you know what, my dad has taught us that it doesn't matter if you're in Walmart or the mall or anywhere, if someone's going through a problem, if they're not embarrassed by it, you pray for them right there on the spot. I hope also I pass down the fact that it doesn't matter what the doctor says, the lawyers say, the politicians say, I will take God's promises over and above that. So let me ask you a question. Who is it that you're going to leave behind that you're going to hand the baton to? There needs to be somebody. You need to have stuff that you're leaving with them. Look at verse number three. To these also, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. I just can't wrap my mind around this whole thing right here. I try, but... I wonder what these guys were thinking when they saw Jesus come back from the dead. I've used the illustration for it. It'd be tantamount to you having a beloved family member die, and you're grieving like there's no tomorrow. Right now, I, I have a man I'm praying for that has lost his child, his teenage child, and he says, Pastor, the pain is indescribable. And my heart goes out to this guy so much. But think about it. You've lost a loved one. You went to the mortuary. You viewed their body. And you come back home, and you're making funeral preparations. And you're so grieved and so sad. And then somebody knocks at your door in the morning while you're getting ready. And they're knocking, knocking. Whoa, whoa, hold it. Why are you so excited over the door? And say, hey, I just want to tell you, I saw your loved one at Starbucks. And they said they'll be coming here in just a few minutes. They're alive. They're not dead. You'd say, what? They're alive. They're not dead. Wait a minute. My loved one is alive. And really, that's true, is it not? If our loved ones love Jesus and they die, they're still alive. They're still alive. And I mean, that's why the gospel is called the hilariously good news. But think about that. That's kind of what happened here. Jesus rose from the dead. The two Marys, they go on the first day of the week to visit the tomb. And when they get there, the stone is rolled away. And one version says they went inside to look, and here sat a young man in a white robe. Now, in this instance, 
the angels look like a, a young man. Sometimes they're so dazzling they make people faint. See, the Bible says that we entertain angels and we're not aware of it. This is a young man in a white robe. If they don't have a white robe on you, you might talk to them and not even know it was an angel. We entertain angels and we're unaware of it. How many angels have you entertained in your life? Two, three, nine? You don't know. It's crazy. And so, lo and behold, the angel says, well, I'll show you something. Here's where we laid him at, but he's not here. And he said, go on in to the village and find the disciples and tell them that he's resurrected. And they're to go into Galilee and meet him there. On the way, the women run into Jesus, and he has a word with them. He says, yeah, go tell the guys. And so it says they're running, and they have a mixture of joy and fear. And they get to the house where the disciples are at, and Mary's, you know, open up, open up, open up, open up. And can you imagine? They said, Jesus is still alive. He's alive. We just saw him. We just spoke with him. Wow, wow, wow. Now, I stop here to say some of you that are listening to me today on the internet are here. Maybe you're at the place where you know that you don't have a long time on this earth. If you're over 60, 70 up there, you realize that you kind of turned the corner on the racetrack and you see the finish line. Maybe it's because you have cancer or heart disease. You just know you probably don't have long to live. I know we repeat this verse all the time, but let's put it up before our eyes one more time to encourage you. These are the words of Jesus in John 11. He says this right here, I am the resurrection of life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And every person, every person at VBF, every person listening on the internet, every person in the world who lives and believes in me, he will never ever die. Do you believe this? I mean, you know, a lot of people, they dread dying. What did one guy say? I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when it comes my day, I've asked for one thing, but I'm, I'm increasing it. Now, you're not going to like what I'm going to say. Some of you are going to lose a sermon right here, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to say it anyway. I, I want to I die warm, and I want to die high, higher than a kite. On Jesus, if you have any drugs, give them to me, because I can't be, I can't be, you know, addicted now. I mean, I want to die with a smile on my face. Uh, I don't want any pain. Is that, is that wrong? I don't want any pain of any sort, because I'm going to see Jesus. You say, well, I just don't agree with that. Well, tough luck. Get over it. That's just who I am. So, when you reframe your mind around the fact you're going to live even if you die, and you can't die. It'll change your whole outlook in life. It'll change the way you approach everything. Let's look at verse 4 through 8. Give me 15 more. I'm shooting for 15 more minutes. It says, gathering them together, he commanded them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father and what he had promised, which he said, you heard it from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, now notice what he said. You have to listen to everything Jesus says. He says, many days from now. He didn't say hours. He should have given them a clue. They're going to have to wait a while. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know. 
Get your mind off of epics. Get your, your mind off of time. That's, that's down the road. The father's got that taken care of. Stop getting that on your mind so much. And then he said, but here's what I want you to concentrate on. You will receive this dynamite power. The word is dunamis. Hello. Your life should be totally different than before you were born again. You get this dunamis power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, let me give you two or three principles out of these verses. Number one, you cannot do the ministry God has called you without depending on the Holy Spirit. There are some churches today you could take the Holy Spirit out of the church and they would still operate just like they're operating. At VBF, we would lose the church if you took the Holy Spirit away. Jesus couldn't do ministry without the Holy Spirit. He waited until he was baptized and the Spirit descended before he did ministry. Early church couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit. You and I can't do it with the Holy Spirit. So we, we've got to live our lives with the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit when I pray. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I realize that this can be misunderstood. I do not believe the devil causes everything. A lot of people say, well, the devil, the devil. Yeah, that's just life, you know. But I do believe, regardless of that, the last six or eight months, I really believe that I've been under attack from demons and devil. I mean, I really believe there is an attack on this church and probably other churches. I've had so many things happen lately that really honestly, if I had to be honest, totally honest with you, I have to think they're, they're, they're spiritual attacks. I mean, if I had time to tell you some of the things that's happened, I don't think there's any other way to explain it. But to make a long story short, last night I, I, was just, I just wasn't in the frame of mind I needed to be in. And I went over to my wife, I said, babe, could you just pray for me right now? She says, what's the matter, sweetheart? I said, I'm having just thoughts go through my mind. And I don't like them. Not, not nasty thoughts, but just thoughts of defeat, thoughts. And I, I, I've been going through this. They come and go. And I said, would you pray in the Spirit right now? Pray in the Spirit, oh me. Of course, she lays hands on me. And man, she prayed everything I needed to hear. I mean, within moments, I was set free by the Holy Spirit. And I had peace that passes understanding. Uh, See, I want you to see my weakness. I'm not up here trying to be somebody all godly and mighty. I go through the same thing you do, but sometimes I might make different choices than you do. And so I went to my wife. What a, what a, what a wonderful thing to have a godly spouse that knows how to pray in the Spirit. See, it's my belief that when you rely upon the Holy Spirit when you pray, when you pray in the Spirit, those prayers are not usually real, real long. Uh, you know, some people pray, and, and they pray so long that you, you're falling asleep, and you have no clue what you even ask God for. You say, what, what do we pray for? I, I Remind me. Well, the other day, I was praying with a, a young man who was going through all kinds of marriage problems, and he's telling me all this stuff. And I believe that Jesus very often answered complex problems with simplicity. And, and really, and I'm, so while he's talking, I'm saying, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, help me give this guy wisdom. And all of a sudden, it came to me out of the clear blue sky. Can I pray with you? He said, yes. I said, Father God, 
in the name of Jesus, give my brother the power to stop being a jerk. God, teach him and remind him to treat his wife with manners, politeness, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. I knew I prayed in the Spirit. I knew I did. Uh, financial problems sometime before that, I was praying to God with financial problems. And finally, I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. I said, Holy Spirit, help me, help me, help me, help me. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Father God, give him the courage and the power to start tithing and giving in Jesus' name, and you'll multiply what comes back to him. Amen and amen. I've had the Holy Spirit stop me many, many times when I'm praying for something and redirect me. Can I ask you something? And I don't want to condemn you, but just a reminder, when was the last time you prayed for somebody in public even? If it doesn't embarrass them. Because see, wherever I'm at, whether it's Walmart or a mall, if somebody tells me a problem, I will offer to pray for them right then and there as long as I don't embarrass them. I was in the gym the other day, and a lady came up to me and started pouring out. No, I was in the gym, and also I was in Hobby Lobby. And I asked her, I said, would it embarrass you if I prayed right now here? She says, no. And so I lay hands on them and pray right there. And so we need to have the Holy Spirit with us in prayer. I need the Holy Spirit to open doors of ministry. And I ask Him, you have not because you ask not. I ask Him often to help me with my thought life, to encourage me when I'm down, uh, how to pray and when to pray. I need the Holy Spirit. The second thing I want to point out to you here is in verse 7 and 8, Jesus basically tells him to concentrate on business at hand. They're, they're, they're looking at the future going, we've been sitting around talking about when Jesus is going to come back, and, and, and we're talking about, is it going to be in this season right now? When's it going to be? And we're on it, we're on it, and we're, we're, we're conversing about it. Can you help us out here? And Jesus says, hey, get your mind off the future right now and get it on the present. I want to talk to you about what's going on now. And we know we have to plan for the future, and not always should we not think about it, but you can't let the anxiety of the future ruin what you're supposed to be doing right now. Uh, Mike Maggard said something to me years ago, and I'll never forget it. He says, sometimes you have to shoot the wolf closest to the barn first. And very often I'm driving down the road, and I'm thinking of all this stuff, and I'm worried about the future, and God says, what are you going to do right now? That's the important thing. Right now, you've got to prepare for a sermon, or you've got to go pray for it. Get your mind on what's going on right now. Rhema, I've got to rhema for someone. You're worried about your illness, you're worried about uh, your future, you're worried about your job, and, and you're living in fear of that. And I've got a word for you. Live with Jesus one day at a time. One day at a time. You're alive today. You're where you're at today. Enjoy the day today, Matthew 6, just concentrate on God's kingdom today, and He'll work out the future, I believe. Now, thirdly, He says that acceptance of the Holy Spirit will make you God's witnesses on the earth. See, for years, decades, I misunderstood this verse. I thought power is going to come upon you so you can witness well. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to have this power to go out and evangelize well. But that's not what this says. This says that when the Holy Spirit comes, His presence in your life will be so powerful that you'll automatically become a witness wherever you go. Just automatically. Uh, 
If you're living with Christ the way you're supposed to be living with Him, you'll just automatically be a witness. You'll go to work, and you won't be able to contain it. Say, hey, Mary, Joe, uh, I know you guys aren't Christians, but can I tell you something? God blessed me so much this morning, and I know it was God. Here's His fingerprints. See, you're being a witness without even really trying. Um, uh, you might go to work or, or, or go into the neighborhood or the marketplace, and you go, I got, I got to share a story with you. My doctor told me six months ago I had three years to live, and I went in today, and the cancer is totally gone. I got to share that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, see, you're automatically being a witness. Do you get the gist of this? You get what I'm saying? You're so excited about what the Holy Spirit's doing. You're just living life with the Holy Spirit. Don't leave God at home. Take God with you to work. Take Him to work with you. And, and during the day, you say, God, we got to go in here and talk in the bathroom where it's private right here, see? Take Jesus wherever you go. And once you get this down, you'll automatically become a witness, automatically. Take Him with you when you leave in the morning. Now let's look at verse 9 through 11. We're almost there. And after He said these things, He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why, why are you standing there glaring up in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the very same way as you have watched him go. Wow, do we need to hear that? See, today... We must live every day in anticipation of the Lord's return. My wife tells me every week, Ron, the Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. She keeps reminding me. In Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of age? And Jesus told them of many different signs. Can I ask you something? This will gauge where you're at right now with the Lord. Does the very fact of the thought of Jesus coming back fill you with just so much joy you can't contain it, or does it make you dread it a little bit? Say, Lord, I got some stuff I have to do. I hear young people tell me all the time, you know what, Pastor, I pray the Lord doesn't come back till I get married. I've got to get married first. <laughs> really? You're equating getting married with heaven. <laughs> Whoa, I'm sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> Marriage is great, and I love it. But if you're equating that with heaven, <laughs> you better think again. Heaven's going to be ridiculously good. It's going to be crazy. Well, you know something else to almost say? Uh, two or three weeks ago, I, I was just curious as if there was anything new going on. And I Googled. This tells you the, the, the health of the church today in a bad way. I Googled uh, 15 signs of the return of Jesus, or 10 signs. And I was grieved as I looked at almost half the sites that came up, and they said, we've got a book to sell for $19.99 that'll tell you these signs. I got a tape cassette series you can get for $29.99, and I'll throw in a crock pot if you order the next hour or something like that. <laughs> what does a church come to? We're a marketing agency. We're trying to fatten our checkbook. If I know of 19 signs for the Lord's coming, I'm going to give it freely to anybody and everybody I see. I'm not going to charge you to get that. Anyway, I wrote down some signs, and you've heard them, but Israel would be back in their homeland. Once they, came, they come back in their homeland, if I read the Bible correctly, that generation will not all pass away until they see the Lord come. That was May 14, 1948. 
And so does it make sense that since that time, things are just changing, changing. And it's like birth pangs changing so quickly since May 14th. And I believe it says in Scripture in the Greek that not everyone will pass away that generation. That's my generation. And it means a lot of them will die off, but a lot of them will still be alive. It says increase in travel and knowledge would be in the last generation. That's just happened the last few decades. Uh, uh, the rise of, of, of the, the Magog and Gog alliance, that's just happened in the last 10 years. Turkey's come back in the picture. Iran's now with Russia. They're down in the Middle East for the first time just the last 10 years. I mean, everything's going so rapidly. The gospel would be preached throughout the whole world, it says. That couldn't happen until several decades ago. And war and violence and lawlessness and earthquakes and catastrophes would be greater and greater. Plagues would become epidemic. Now, listen to me. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but this whole coronavirus thing might just be the beginning of, of a bunch of stuff. We don't know that, but I do know that God will protect us through it. He will. Uh, Persecution of believers. The church is beginning to be hated more and more every, every few years. False prophets will arise, all kinds of false doctrines out there. And it says one of the signs will be the world will be on the verge of destroying itself. Boy, the pollution, global warming, climate change, nuclear war, global pandemic. The earth's shelf life is almost over. We see it. It's coming. Everybody's getting pretty frightened. But it all had to take place because Jesus is going to come back and redeem the earth and take us home. It, it's just a matter of time. Give me one more verse, and I'm going to close it up right here. Verse 12. They then returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, it says here, if you read through this, it says they were told by God to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, they waited 10 days. Now, originally today, my sermon, if it was topical, was going to be a made-up mind, the power of a made-up mind. Now, notice here, I don't think this happened. When they went to the people and said, okay, we're told to go wait for the Holy Spirit. He said, it's going to be some days from now. Are you going? I doubt anybody said, well, I'm still praying about it. Are you going? Well, I got a couple days to spare. I'll stick around and see what happens in a couple days. No, their mind was made up. They said, God has spoken. My mind will not at all be fickle. We're going to go and stay there for the whole 10 days if we have to. They didn't know it was going to be 10 days. Now, I watch people all the time operate with not made-up minds. Do you know the power of a made-up mind? I mean, I hear people sometimes talk about all kinds of things. Dieting. I'm going to go on a diet. But you see them two weeks later, how's your diet going? They're not dieting anymore. Why? They didn't have a made-up mind. I heard, I, uh, what pastor was it I heard say one day? said, if you can't take authority over a piece of lemon pie, you can't take authority over the devil. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. I went away to Vegas, and I, I've, I've retained it, luckily. But I was getting a little overweight about a year ago, and I went away and told Debbie, I will not come back with this extra weight. And I went over and dropped 165 to 148. And, and I know it's not healthy. I shouldn't have done it. But in 13, 14 days, that's what I dropped down to. And I've been that pretty much ever since. But I went back and I was determined. My mind was made up. I went to the gym three times a day. I went on a diet, man. And I was determined. Do you not know the power of a made up mind? Can I tell some of you guys right now? You know what? You need to make up your mind that you're married until death do you part. You need to make up your mind. There are no alternatives. You made a vow to God, and you better stick that vow out. 
Get out of the candy store. You're married. You're married. And so I have so much more to say on this. Now, if you get to the 31st of October and you decide to go to this service or whichever, I'll just pick right back up with this same idea the following week. Uh, the power of a made-up mind. Whenever God tells you something in His Word or speaks it to you personally, once He tells you something, you cannot afford to go back and renegotiate that thought. You need to have a made-up mind. God has told me through two cancers now. He said, I will make you live. I will not let you die. I will deliver you. I can't go back and look at that again, no matter what the doctors say. God has said it, and I've got a made-up mind. In Mark 11, the Lord said, if you say to this mountain, go jump into the sea, and you don't doubt, but you believe with all of your heart, all of your heart, what God's told you, He said, that it'll happen. Can I, if I continue with Acts, I will come back to this whole idea, because I have a lot to say about a made-up mind, 100%. It'll make you or break you. We haven't seen the power in the life of a person with a made-up mind. My God said it, and if I have to pray with my head between my legs like Elijah until the clouds come, I will not stop praying. The power of going to God and saying, God, you know what? I'm going to pray for the salvation of my loved one, and I will not stop. I will be here every day till the day I die until you save them. The power of a made-up mind. So I got a lot more to say, but that's the style. I wanted to give you a sample of what you're going to get if you choose a second service. Now, I'm not telling you to choose a service. Josh is so creative in that team in, in videos, and they're going to start doing topicals with a lot of video stuff. Going to be very interesting, and that'll be in the first and third service. So let's pray this right here. Father God, I am so excited about our future. Lord, as I have said at business meetings and church meetings all over the country that every business, every church is either in incline, recline, or decline. And if you're in recline, it won't be long till you go into decline. And to stay in incline, you have to constantly do new things. And I think this body needs something new and fresh. We need verse-by-verse verse study. We need to find out what the Bible's teaching, but we also need what Pastor Josh and the young team's going to present. We need both of them. So move upon the people starting the 31st, what service they need to attend. We love you. We praise you. If you're here today, you've never given your life to God. How do you do that? You can come up here and these people will help you. Or you can go home to your bathroom like I did one day. And I said, God, I'm tired of living without you in my life. Holy Spirit, come and live in my body and give me the strength I need to start serving. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Do as I can.